0: I am a part of an art form that is thousands and thousands of years in the making of oral tradition, of oration, of communication, of using story and word picture and teaching and um, parable. And not only that, I am in the tradition of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher. Like he came as a teacher. And And it's an art form. And I was like, why? Am I just realizing this right now? Why didn't someone tell me this like early, early on? Like what you do is an art form, just as much as like someone who writes music or someone who writes, who makes movies, what you do is an art form and you create an artifact almost every single Sunday as, you, as a teacher, something that lives, that literally lives um, in the world.
1: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 254. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is our guest for the week, Pastor Dave Lummis from Reality San Francisco. It's a great conversation that I can't wait for you to listen to. Uh, Dave speaks about some wise advice that he received from a youth pastor long ago, affirming his gift of teaching and also warning him against inattentiveness to his character. Uh, Dave learns and speaks to us about the importance of embracing obscurity in an age of live streaming and social media and celebrity pastors. But the main thrust of the conversation is about he has come to see and understand preaching as one of the creative arts. So be sure to check out the show notes because he references a lot of books and I think I caught all of them and there's links for them in the show notes. So feel free to click around and uh, buy some books. Okay, well, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. All right, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I get to speak with uh Dave Lomas from Reality SF. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm um, well. Good morning to you. Or good evening. We're, I don't know. It's good my morning.
1: It's it's night. Hey, I I forgot to tell you this before we hit record. Did you know that your city and my city are twinned cities? So No, it's at San night. Well, not, no, no. As in oh. like Cork, where I where I live in San Francisco, they're like, they're twin cities. So when I drive mm. into the city limits, it always says, welcome to Cork, twinned with, and it has like a list of cities, and San Francisco is one of them.
0: Whoa. How's that for? That's awesome.
1: Really obscure opening banter. <laughs> I love it. Not that twin, interesting. Does that mean like,
0: is it like, what is the twin...
1: I think I mean? think my the mayor of my city like comes to your city sometimes. And I think maybe like the St. Patrick's yeah. Day Parade. I think the yeah. mayor of
0: Cork was was part of the San Francisco. Parade. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. <laughs> on in I, the news. So I'm sorry. I go. wish
1: I had better opening banter, but <laughs> I'm not going to banter. But so, Dave, why don't you talk to us about your first sermon that you ever preached? Let's get let's get right down to business.
0: OK, so th- let me set the scene here. I was um, a, a senior in high school. No, 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 I just graduated high school. So I was, it was the summer of 1996. I had just graduated high school. And my youth pastor at the time asked me, after a year of leadership and being a Christian for about 18 months, asked me to teach the junior hires. And so I'm like, I don't know what that means. <clears throat> he said he said, well, they're going to gather in a room and you teach them the Bible. And I'm like, okay, I'm like 18 months into this thing. What do I teach them? He's like, pray about it and ask God what to teach them. And so I taught on the Great Commission. I don't know why I chose that topic. I do remember it very vividly. I remember sitting on my parents' dining room table because still lived at home, reading a bunch of youth ministry books because that's what my pastor gave me, And trying to put together a teaching on Jesus commanding us to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. The thing is, I probably didn't know exactly what that even meant, but felt like it would be a really good thing to start with the words of Jesus when you're teaching the Bible. And so I did, I taught, and I remember feeling afterwards like energized. Like, I love that. I wasn't a public speaker before that, I wasn't like, um, not, it just, something came out it was like <clears throat> truly a spiritual gift. I think God just like, this is my gift to you. I'm going to give this to you for the, for the, the, the church. So that was it. That was my first sermon. How did it go? Oh gosh. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't re- honestly don't remember how it went. Yeah. I don't know if like kids were like, I think a lot of junior hires just kind of stare at you most yeah. of the time anyway. Yeah. But then but they I all do remember
1: missionaries. They all went to all the nations of the earth because they were so all... stirred by you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I have a uh, there was yeah. There's a few of them in my church today. I, what? I, here's what I do remember. I remember learning how to teach while I was teaching the Bible to people to junior hires who knew the Bible better than me because they went through like Sunday school in Awana. and like and so I would teach on these Bible characters. And I wouldn't know how to pronounce their names because who knows how to pronounce Old Testament names? Like, I was trying to pronounce Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they would, I would just, I'm like, Shadrach. And then the kid, like, Shadrach. Like, they knew. I didn't know. And so, yeah, I kind of fumbled my way through teaching. And uh, I then eventually, I remember my first sermon that I gave in big church. And this was a few years later. And I had been teaching junior hires and high schoolers, and then I was invited to the big church to teach the adults. And I remember after that, te- I don't remember what it was on, but I remember after that teaching, I had a bunch of like older folks who were mentors of mine who, who I looked up to just affirm the gift of God in me. And then my senior pastor at the time pulled me aside and said, do you know what your gift is? At that time, I, didn't, I honestly thought it was like leadership or something. I said, I think my gift is like leadership. He's like, you have a gift of teaching, and I see it in you, and here's my advice to you. Take care of your character. And I thought that was kind of out of the blue. Take care of your character. I was like, okay. He's like, because you're gifted as a teacher, your influence will grow really fast. But your character will not grow as fast as your influence typically. So guard your character or else you'll fall. Like it was a warning and a and a affirmation and an encouragement at the same time. One of the, some of the best advice I've ever, I've, I've ever been given, and um, I think God kept me in obscurity for a while, a long time in Bakersfield, my hometown, for that very reason. Learning how to serve college students, leading Bible studies in houses, and um, for years and years and years. And so, I think, and then then the internet came out where it used to be like old school you would have sermons on tapes like legitimate like tape cassettes and then and then eventually moved to CDs and then it moved to MP3s on the internet and um, I remember when that shift happened because we started uploading sermons on the internet and I tried to upload my youth sermons on the internet like my Sunday sermons from youth and the youth senior pastor said no and I remember feeling so like offended but I'm it's like the the the, the wisdom of God I'm so thankful that he didn't do that. And my point there is that when right now as teachers are emerging, you are learning how to teach on the internet, like meaning your stuff goes out to the world and your influence can either grow really fast or you can say a lot of silly stuff that goes out into the world that lives forever. And so I think that I grew up in a time where there was an advantage of that stuff didn't kind of happen. And I was able to be in obscurity and learn but guard obscurity as much as you can or allow God to allow you to be obscure as you're emerging as a teacher. If you're teaching youth or college students or if you're teaching Bible studies or Sunday school class or whatever you're doing as you're emerging even if you have a a young church like allow the obscurity to happen because that's the stuff that's where like God grows you. You see obscurity in the life of Jesus life of Moses life of Paul like you see obscurity kind of everywhere right Uh, in scripture and the, the times of obscurity are very very important to a life of a teacher. I probably went way off script there but that's,
1: that's right. no I, I i want to ask okay why why is obscurity important if you have something to say why should you um hide your light under a bushel
0: yeah 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 good question because i think like my senior pastor told me years ago because influence as it grows could really destroy you and in obscurity you learn intimacy with god you learn dependence on god you learn humility. So <clears throat> you think of, I think of the life of Jesus, who was um, obscure until the age of, you know, people think around 30, 30 years old. And um, and what was the, all that time in the middle? Like, I think it was him developing his dependence on the Father, him understanding his mission in life, what he's called to do. And then even after the ministry starts, he's sent to the wilderness. And there's, there's parts of that that was obscure as well. And then finally, he emerges, you know, with the good, the gospel, the evangelion, whatever that word is said in Greek, you um, And uh, yeah, so I think that um, I think obscurity is important for that. It teaches you things that you can't learn when uh, when you're in front of a bunch of people, or your 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 teachings go out to a bunch of people. You need you need obscurity to to literally cut your teeth on humility and dependence and intimacy with God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for unpacking that. And what a, what a rare thing, I suppose, you know, those of us that lived and preached through lockdown when not having your in- sermons on the internet wasn't an option. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how to be like a, I don't know, a modern, uh, a neo-Luddite? Is there, is there, should that be something that we pursue to keep our stuff off the internet um, today? Cause you know, I hate to break it, but we're on the internet right now.
0: Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I thought you were doing tapes. You don't have a tape machine. <laughs> yeah, stop by the foyer. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so I would say there's something about like the self-promotion that is a part of um, pastoring over the last you know, social media and especially through COVID, through lockdown. There's a there's a inherent like necessary evil in it, meaning you kind of have to do it because your people live online. Right. And I think you shouldn't ever get comfortable, too comfortable with it. This is this might be just super old school. I'm old. I'm like mid forties now, so this might be just me just being old. But I think there is something about making sure that you're guarding, uh, guarding parts of your life because most people know that what happens on the internet isn't that real isn't as real as 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 we all know it to be and because of that <clears throat> we need to make sure that we have deep abiding relationships in person in our communities that we're living out like so this is one of the things I would, I would tell teachers that before you teach anything make sure you live it out and not only live it out but work it out in your community and then you're, you're able to preach it so uh, one of the trap of young teachers is that the second they learn something, they want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You probably get this all the time in yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. your podcast. Probably a lot of pastors say this. And um, and I remember early on, a mentor of mine, uh, Britt uh, Merrick, who was uh, my uh, mentor in planting reality in San Francisco. And I would do that. I had this proclivity to do that when I lived in Carpinteria where reality was founded. And I would like learn something and teach it. And he's like... He pulled me aside one time. I was like, Dave, you know, you just learned that thing. I know you did because we were reading a very similar book, a same book, little, literally the same book. And you just literally just like heard that or read that and you started teaching it. Like you should probably give a gap between like what you, when you learned it and how it's actually lived into your life and then teach it. And it was, I mean, I'm sure this people get this advice all the time. This is really one of the wisest things someone, someone has did in my teach, in teach teaching ministry specifically because – everything that we've done like major series that we go through i think of one right now like when we did um uh i think in 2018 we did a race and um a a, a god a gospel and race series and that came after a few years of living with this content with a community of people that we just would meet over dinner and discuss things and how implications of this in our in our own lives or one of the things that we made sure that we were discussing in part of this series was that how we actually live out diversity in our day-to-day lives is making sure that every 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 party we throw is like there's diversity around the table. And we had to do that for like a few years like who are actually who is actually invited over our house on on the regular. And are we making sure that it's people from different life experiences that when we get people in a room? And we did that. We we like lived this thing out for a couple of years, and then lived it out for a whole year with a cohort. And then we taught the teaching series. And um, if I would have read a book and then taught, it would have been a disaster because I wasn't living it. So, so I I think that I I've get that is is a very 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 important part of like teaching ministry as well.
1: So I'm hearing a lot of like patterns from your senior pastor when you were young to your mentor, uh, in recent decades. And then even what you're imparting to like the emerging teachers in your own community is it's like, it's the opposite of rapid growth. It's the opposite of like public and flashy. You're telling people instead of go for it, you're saying, wait, instead of be loud, you're saying, you know, be, be still and be silent. Um, have something worth saying before you say it.
0: Yeah. 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 So, okay. So I think one of the, one of the church's roles is to come at the world with the opposite spirit. So when there is a flare up of deep bitterness and anger to, to, to actually show up with grace and patience and when, so the opposite spirit thing is a, is I think a really important thing. So if the spirit of our world is constantly like self-promoting and pushing and loud and like, bah, 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 bah. I think there's some people that think we have to be loud too. We have to be just as loud because if we are not just as loud, we'll just get pummeled by the by all the messaging that our church is getting. We we'll actually try the opposite spirit. Try to whisper. I do this with my daughter. When she is not listening to me, I'll start whispering. And my daughter's three and a half, and she'll like pay attention. She'll be like she'll lean in and it's like you hit her with the opposite things get elevated like ah you start yelling and i start whispering and she's like and i think i think teachers have this really uh, important position in the church to like and in society to where when everyone sees that like all the self promotion all all this stuff and then to have the opposite spirit to be that still small voice you know which is very much like god and um i i think it's it's how people actually can pay attention. Anyways, that's yeah, that's what I'd say.
1: Yeah. Well, this has been a yeah, a fascinating look at kind of yeah, the I don't want to say contrarian because that that kind of implies that you're you're trying to be different on purpose, but just the way that your your discipleship has brought you into this surprising or yeah, opposite voice and uh, I think that's it sits well with you. <laughs> um I enjoy talking with you. Like you you've like you set me at ease in this conversation and I think you're very like you're living this out. You're embodying this. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, I want to quote you now. So you said this, you said that after kind of of moving out of the contemplative thoughtful into the actual kind of preaching stuff, which this, this podcast is about, um, you said that after 20 years of preaching, 20 plus years of preaching, you're finally beginning to own the fact that what you do is an art form. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to ask like, what did you mean by that? What is the Intersection between sermon preparation and the creative arts. How is preaching mm. an art form? Mm.
0: First of all, Mike, thank you for asking me that because I love this question a lot. Because <laughs> you can't you can't say it so much on on social media not not everything. But here, here's what I mean by that. Yeah, I just po- I posted that some time ago, a few months ago. I I okay, so I I in high school before I was a Christian, I would like help my friend's band write songs. And I'm not a musician and I've always wanted to be a musician or I always wanted to be an artist. Like I th- I see people that are very artistic. I'm around a lot of artistic people. And I've always thought like, wow, oh, I wish I was artistic. I wish I was like a designer or like an architect or a musician or a comedian or some sort of like, I love the creative art form. And very recently I've had this like a moment of like, I am a part of an art form that is thousands and thousands of years in the making of oral tradition, of oration, of communication, of using story and word picture and teaching and parable. And not only that, I am in the tradition of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher. Like he came as a teacher. And and it's an art form. And I was like, why am I just realizing this right now? Why didn't someone tell me this like early, early on? Like what you do is an art form just as much as like someone who writes music or someone who writes, who makes movies, what you do is an art form. And you create an artifact almost every single Sunday as as a teacher, something that lives, that literally lives in the world every week. And so how you put that together um, needs to be thought of as an art form. And then it helps me and it has helped me like prep or even sometimes read. So one of my favorite books, I'm sure that it gets mentioned on this podcast is the homiletical plot. Um, not,
1: not as much as you'd think.
0: Yeah. So thank it's you for such.
1: Yeah. Lowry has the great contribution that more people should know about.
0: Yes. The homiletical plot has been, I and I give that to every teacher that I'm like teaching how to teach it's it's and, and, um, any book you get on screenwriting or storytelling, like these kind of, con- these contributions help you in framing, first of all, how to tell a story. How do you tell a story? How does a story and the point of a story get down to a human experience that everyone can relate to? Um, how does that story fit into your point? And then how does that point fit into like your thesis of a sermon or like what you're trying to do in a sermon? And the, all, learning all that stuff is an art form, right? Like I was sitting with someone, someone who's gonna be teaching for the first time very soon. And they were telling, she was. She said, I think I have uh, this story, the illustration. And then she shared it with me. And I'm like, okay, let me tell you, okay, first of all, th- an illustration or a story has to communicate like one thing really well. And you have to set that up. And it has to land. And when it lands, you have to take that landing right into like what the point is. So I was teaching her how to tell it. And then how does that fit into the sermon or this point or this movement in this part of the sermon? And, and as I was chatting uh, with this person I was like, oh my gosh this this is this is the art right this is the art of teaching this is like how do you take a story or an illustration or a parable that is communicating something that we all know they all have access to but the parable is the teaching. like Jesus hardly ever explains a parable. The parable is the teaching. So how do you share a story and the story sometimes just has its own point? Like, how do you do that? So that's not, that literally is an art form. And I just geek out on this stuff. So for me, like, as I'm putting together the sermon, everyone puts together sermons differently, but I use like giant pieces of paper. I use sticky notes. I use a whiteboard. I use a word processor. I use uh, photos. I'll take photos and go through photos. And I have a document of just a bunch of questions when I get stuck, a bunch of questions. Like when I get stuck, usually the first question is, why am I stuck? What is it about this topic or this point that I don't like or that I do like? And then usually, you know, you have to start digging. So you have to get yourself unstuck. So this is all art form. This is what people do when they're writing plays or they're writing songs or they're writing whatever. So to start seeing your sermon as an art form and and the actual delivering of the sermon, the homiletics part that you actually preaching and what your voice does, in a sermon like Spurgeon's whole notes, right. To his students, he has like postures, like stand this way and stand that way. That's right. It's so hilarious. It's all art. This is art. So anyways, I probably ramble for a bit there, but.
1: Oh yeah. I I, I wish you'd ramble more Here, Here's okay. What would you tell somebody who like me has never read a screenwriting book? Where, where should I start? What's a, how do I learn about screenwriting?
0: Mm. Uh, Robert McKee. He has a book. Uh, look, google it so um robert mckee book he has a book that a mentor of mine just oh it's called story it's yeah. literally just called story robert mckee <laughs> his book is called story substance structure style and the principles of screenwriting this link, link will really, be in the show notes yeah this is a really good book a mentor <laughs> yeah. of mine yeah who is a you know a, a teacher on a global level for years and years and years and years, and years said this we get this book and this book is helpful and like, what is, what are, what are scenes? So it helps you in movements. Usually sermons have some sort of like three parts or two parts to them, typically, right? And how do you get from one part, to another part? And then how do you know when a part is done? It's just like scenes in a movie. How do you know the scene is done? And then how do you know this scene builds into that scene? And then what is the arc of a scene? What is the arc of a movement of a sermon? How does that move into a new part of a sermon? And how does that part of the sermon then serve your your thesis? And what are you doing in the first part? What are you doing in the second part? Some of this is homiletical plot, right? His like whole whoops moment, like how to disrupt people's narrative to get them to listen. And then once you disrupt their narrative, how do you actually solve the problem? This is what every kind of movie does. It presents a problem and it solves a problem. Presents a problem, solves a problem. And our minds are kind of wired this way in that story gospel stories are told this way too like it presents a problem what is the problem And what is so this is a good question to ask when you're writing a sermon what is the problem what is the problem trying to solve and then what would the world be like if i solved this problem or what would the world not be like if i never talked about this problem and then what is the good news like what is the good of course jesus is the good news gospel but how is the gospel of jesus the good news in this in this particular instance these things help you frame so so that, that, that screenwriting book is a very helpful book, even on characters and how characters are developed are super interesting. And, um, yeah, all that stuff is super fascinating to me. And then when you watch movies or you read books, you know what they're doing. And when you know what they're doing, it's like the matrix where you see behind the thing, it's <laughs> all the numbers going down. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I know. Like you watch the new top gun. You're like, Oh, act three. Oh, I know. This is like that. Literally the scene closed. It went dark curtain act three. Like, you know, this is act three. This is going to be, and you know what they're doing and it's super fun. You're like, Oh, I can see it all now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, this is like years ago. I was, I was simultaneously doing two things. I was teaching through the books of one and two Samuel, the, you know, David and, and all that, and reading this book called David, Saul and God by Paul Borgman. Uh, and he's kind mm. of a a, lit- a literary critic. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's a, a Christian believer or not. I'm not sure, but it's just a, analyzing it from a literary perspective and I was also watching Breaking Bad for the first time. And uh-huh. and, and I was like, oh, for, it was like bringing me into this idea <laughs> of like stories being told with intentionality and layers and foreshadowing. And then seeing uh, yeah. it in the book of one and two Samuel and how, you know, there's there's scenes in there that are repeated throughout and motifs yes. that repeat and then being like that reminds me of Walter White <laughs> that reminds me of Tuca or whatever and that just for me just opened up stories uh well-told stories as um like understanding the skeleton behind it or as you would say that the matrix code behind the supposed reality and it's been very helpful oh, and gosh. I really think I've been a better consumer of media ever since and then hopefully a better
0: teller of stories ever since yeah. That's so good. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think um, what you just said, first of all, it's fun because I think most, a lot of people don't watch movies well or read books well in the sense that they don't know what that's doing and they don't know what like they're uncovering behind the story, you know, the human element. I think pastors really need to be good at that because I think even movies and books and stories are telling us about the human experience in ways that we can like Uh, have inroads of the gospel so that 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 is popular enough that the producers behind this or the publishers behind these books know that this is the human experience needs to get out there so and i also would say absolutely the stories that are told in the scriptures the foreshadowing it is so good the repetitiveness of a story or a motif that gets repeated over and over and over again is so so good, and when when you find good commentators that point it out, when you find good, because sometimes you can't find it, you won't find it. It takes you it takes commentaries to point it out, but you have to know what you're looking for, and when one of them points it out, you're like, oh, that's amazing. I get that. I see it. You know, and so it's just learning how to how to see that way. You, once you learn how to see that way, you're looking for commentators that are pointing out motifs and ways, like reading. I think it was. Uh, Maybe Walter Brueggemann his commentary on Exodus, and he does a lot of the motif and the story and the story behind the story, and it was mind blowing. I'm like, why have I never understood Exodus like this? And as you, I think you have to know what you're looking for. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or or just live with it for a decade and and read it and reread it and and you know maybe teach it to a class and then and then interact with the the students interacting with it with you and then you take notes and there's there's a you know as Tim Mackey says, uh, "What Jewish meditation literature? So it takes it takes meditation sometimes for these things to to unlock." Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I was literally meditating today on uh, that passage in John nine where Jesus heals a blind man, and then the Pharisees are like, "Who healed you?" You know, and they get all mad at Jesus. And then as I am meditating on it. I, mean, I probably knew this, but I it was like fresh revelation this morning on like how the religious leaders were actually the blind ones in the whole story, and they were so blind. And then the, the way that John writes the story is he uses a blind man to tell the story of the blind Pharisees, how Jesus can heal pretty easily, maybe even some in some ways weirdly, mud, spit and mud, and how the actually the people who see are the ones that are preaching to the people that are blind, but but the leaders are supposed to be the, the ones that see. And I thought about that as a leader, like, God, help me see, help me see, because I don't want to be blind to what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in the world, And I don't want to be like, I know, I I know the Bible, I know Exodus, I know how this, I don't want to be like this Pharisee. So, but even the motifs, like there's ways that John is telling and Mark is telling their stories. So you get these under, like, there's a reason why he put these two scenes together, you know, not only because it happened, but there's a way they're telling the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that.
1: It, it happened, you know, and and it probably even happened in that order. But it's also told and retold in a certain way that highlights this truth.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's yes, exactly. Yeah, I guess once, it, once people
1: it, get into kind of the, the literary stuff, I think a lot of emphasis on like, isn't the author clever in, in doing these things? And yes, and, yes and, and and it happens. This is why
0: Yeah, you brought Mackie. I, I love the whole like Mackie saying the. Bible is a library of books, both human and divine. So God uses humanity and their experience, and since they, you know, the way they grew up, everything, He uses all of that, the way they put story together in order to tell his story. So it's human. It's a human book and it's a divine book, and it's God inspired and God breathed. And as you approach it that way, if you're just approaching it from the like, the like And this, I don't think this is controversial, but maybe it is in certain circles. If you're just approaching it as a book handed down by God, and that's it, then you're going to miss so much. If you don't see the human element of the way the story is told through humans by God, then you're going to miss layers. You're going to miss like, don't you see? And I think that's what everyone's favorite like parts, because of the most human. This is why we love teachers that like, you know what's going on in the first century there and you know what this word is and you know what this is connected to and you know what's going on and, and you're like, you open up the world of the Bible. Yeah. I, I don't think
1: that's controversial. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And I guess yeah. email you. We'll so. see. We'll see. Yeah. Make sure to email uh what David SF. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, I'll, I'll um, okay. And you know what? I'm, I'm just aware of the time. Uh, maybe there's a final question. Uh, so Dave, how are you, how are you trying to improve uh, you have the advantage of of preaching for a long time. You've had, you know, more than twenty years of experience, you know, in the pulpit, and and you're not that old. But how do you want to get better? Hmm. Wow, that's a good question.
0: How do you think about that? For me personally, just this is like more logistics. What I've been trying to do to get better is I am a manuscripter, so I manuscript all my sermons. I do that for a few reasons. One. I teach multiple services, so I want to make sure what I say in one service, I say in another service. I did way too many drugs in high school before I was Christian, so my memory is kind of shot, so I don't remember sometimes, so I need to write it down and sometimes just go to read. And so one way is that I'm, I'm trying to get better is using a manuscript, but being being okay with going off script and saying a lot of things from memory and unction and like things that are in me. So... That's one way I'm trying to improve. Another way, this is way more practical, is like writing, up, owning. So I had, to, I had to do work with a coach on this. And I'm, I'm getting better at it, but it's still sometimes stressful. So I don't recommend this. Like So I'm going to say something that I do not recommend. I write most of my sermons on Sunday morning. I'm a procrastinator by nature. And I am, well, not a procrastinator. I'm not a procrastinator by nature. I work best under pressure by nature. And I should probably say it that way. I don't really procrastinate on a lot of things. I I actually work better like on, under pressure, so I work with a coach who's like this world class coach. He's like, so you write your sermons on Sunday morning. I'm like, yeah, and I hate it. He's like, okay, what are you afraid of? I'm like, I'm afraid of like not showing up with something. He's like, have you ever not shown up with something? I'm like, no. He's like, so you're afraid of something that's never happened. I'm like, yes. He goes, what if you just started embracing the fact that. You work really good under pressure, and the best thing that you come up with to say are Sunday morning. I was like, huh, okay. So I study a lot. I study usually, you know, 20, 10 to 20 hours a week on a sermon. Throughout the week, I'm reading all this stuff. I have outlines, and and then it all comes together for me early Sunday morning. I sit, and I'm like, how does this all fit together? And I write. That's typically how it works for me. So embracing that, but also not afraid of like, Scripting. I have to have an intro written before Sunday morning and I have to have the movements written. So it's not everything is done Sunday morning. But the actual like, okay, this is where I'm starting and how do I flesh out these movements and what ends up on the editing room floor and then what ends up in the sermon is all put together Sunday morning for me, typically. So growing for me is like embracing that. Like just, I, I, I have gone on a journey just embracing that. Even as I get older and... Um, And my life gets more and more full. And with two young kids, um, I just still just fully embrace that. So that's how I'm growing, just like embracing who I am. Like I know people who write sermons three weeks in advance, two weeks in advance. And I like I wish I was that person, but I'm not. I'm me. And so I have to embrace who I am. So that's another way I'm trying to grow. And then just fully living into it as an art form, um, seeing it as an art form, not not being afraid of experimenting meaning a few weeks ago I read a kid's book just like I put a stool next to the the pulpit and I sat in the stool and I did story time and I would never have done that before but I just like I'm gonna try it I'm gonna see how it goes like I want to tell this story from illustration from a book that I read to my daughter and I think there's some really good way it illustrates this point in the sermon so I did it and it landed like really well and people were like you know, it's different. Like it kind of moved me from a different place and I was able to receive that. And so then I did it again with a novel two weeks ago and just read a part of a novel that I'm reading. And, um, and I just, I, I'm not afraid to like just experiment. So yeah, those, well, those yeah. are the ways that I'm saying. The question, did it work as good the second time? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Oh really? The novel. Okay. Yeah. The no- often the, sometimes
1: the, the, the first time is like innovative. The second time's lame.
0: but Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I did in the sense that it wasn't a kid's book, so yeah. that that didn't land it. Like when I sat down and I opened up a kid's book to everyone, everybody was like, Oh yeah, that's like cool. That's like, and then it's the one about <laughs> the caterpillar that turns into a butterfly, you know. Oh uh,
1: yeah. And
0: um by Eric Carl. Uh, hungry, hungry caterpillar. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, that book is so good. I, it's like so, it's like
1: I could almost reach it. It's it's right over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so good.
0: Too. Yeah, so you know, exactly. So uh, as um well, I won't get into that book, but but the yes, though the novel it was different in the sense that like last time I read you a kids book, I'm gonna read you a novel. Now if I did it every Sunday it wouldn't land, but like I want to read you this part of a novel and it's the story time. So when people see it still out now, they know like Dave's they're, they're gonna read a story. Like so <laughs> yeah. I read this part of the Brothers K book. It's such a good little story on prayer, and I'm teaching on prayer and the mystery of prayer and it was funny and it was good. So I'm not really good at reading novels out loud because it's just certain cadence that I'm not super mm. good at, mm. but I tried it. And so, yeah. anyway.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So em- embracing the art form, being willing to try new things, even, even now, and then embracing that you write your sermons on Sunday mornings and that's, that's okay. Okay. And uh, yeah. Hey, listen, I write, I write my sermons on Sunday mornings too. So I, I, I think, yeah, that's totally okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it doesn't work for everybody, but I even had some times where I kind of like disciplined myself out of it. And it was, you know, final draft was done Thursday night and, um, you know, sent off to other leaders and doing all that thing. And then even like out of habit, waking up early on Sunday morning and then just like, I got nothing to do, you know? And then of course you'd like, well, I should devote this to prayer. But then there's just something about I find maybe maybe you resonate. But like you're you're not writing this for these other people. You're writing this for the people that you're going to see today. You know, like they're they're coming today. This is real. There's people and they're coming to church today. And I'm I'm writing this. You know, almost as like this. And obviously this can happen earlier. But like I want to communicate God's heart for these people today through this passage, through these themes. And I'm writing it now. And so yeah, I've I've embraced as well. This is not for everybody, but it works for me
0: yeah i I, yeah i feel very similar that like i wake up i'm like it's today and what i'm going to say in a few minutes and i find that i remember it better if i write on thursday i literally do not remember what i write and i'm more of like reading reading from a script versus like i just wrote this today and i'm pretty i can recite a lot of it you know and i know the way i wrote it the cadence of way i wrote it because i i write in a way that for me i'm like i Like, I know, I know this is like an inflection. This is a pause. This is, I know that because I just wrote it. So, yeah. But again, not recommended for the mass pastor, uh, mass group of pastors out there. There's certain personality types that works really well for. It frustrates the heck out of my staff because when they want to build something off of a sermon series, they can't because they get it Sunday morning. So we found that that doesn't work. So when we create community group material or small group material, that is like more in this a theme of what where uh, the sermon is going. They just have to like detach it from me, and like we're gonna teach on X and just write material and it won't it won't map completely, but it'll. So yeah,
1: I have to make my own slides. Do you make your own slides, or do you have no?
0: Some? I I send them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, people yeah, the same. That's, like,
1: that's also part of my like you know Sunday morning. 7 a.m. I'm like, all right, let's yeah. start. Let's start this slideshow.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, 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 I did that for a few months, and it stressed me out personally. And uh, I liked it. Then it stressed me out because it was too much crunch time, and we start early now, so so I couldn't do it. But I actually like the deadline. I like the deadline of I have to get my notes to these people. By this time, or else the slides won't get done. So I love that deadline for me personally. I'm like, okay, here's your notes for the slides. And now I have to take a shower and go to work, you know? <laughs> yes. So. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. Well, Dave, this has been, this has been, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for yeah bringing us into this practice of yours, uh, you know, from inviting us into kind of a, a calmness or a, or an obscurity. And then out of that to then embrace like the artistry of it and then to be ourselves, no matter how quirky or odd or different it is so thank you very much
0: absolutely mike it's been a pleasure super
1: fun yeah and uh to the listeners of the podcast i hope that this episode and all that we do at the expositors collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of god's word thanks dave well thanks so much dave and thanks to you for listening all the way through Now, if you're listening to this on the week or the month that it was originally released, it means that we are heading up to Christmas. And if you are looking for some Christmas preaching encouragement, well, then I'd encourage you to scroll back a few episodes because there's a compilation episode that we put out a few weeks ago uh, with different preachers and teachers uh, giving their own advice as to how to preach the best Christmas sermon possible and how to structure the month of December in a way that honors your congregation and also helps you as a preacher to manage time. Uh, Dave is one of the voices in there, uh, along with uh, Taylor Turkington, John Brown, John Stark, and many others. So scroll back if you want some timely December advice or encouragement. Well, anyway, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. See you next Tuesday.